Welcome to another episode of Simplified Ideas. I'm your host, Stephen Graskowski. On today's podcast, we will be talking about the most common health issues that are seen in hospitals. To inform and help us understand the implications of these health issues, I've invited a good friend of mine, Habib Ahmed. He is currently a sixth-year medical student at the University of Adelaide. Having dealt with a numerous variety of health issues in hospitals, he will help us dismantle the most common health issues through explaining what they are, how it affects the body, and how to avoid or alleviate that issue. So without further introduction, let's begin. Habib, thank you for coming on the podcast. I've been looking forward to bringing you on for the podcast for a while now. Thanks for having me here today. Glad to have you on, Habib. Habib, could you briefly walk us through what your degree entails and what you've been up to these past couple of years? Yeah, sure. So currently, um, I'm in my final year of medicine. It's a total of six years. It's a long degree. And I'm at Adelaide Uni, so our uni has a strong focus on the clinical side of things. So they put us into hospital placements a lot earlier than some other universities do. And basically, it just means that we're allowed to interact with patients and get more comfortable in a hospital environment. And it also just allows us to see the things that we're learning about in person, which goes a long way in, in helping us remember stuff. It's always easy to remember something where you can recall a specific example or, or put a face to, to a condition. This is different to some other unis who do uh, a lot of theory and then only get put into hospitals in their final year. Uh, and then are trying to apply that information. Our hospital placements are divided into various specialties like general medicine, surgery, obstetrics, psychiatry, and so on, which allows us to be exposed to all the different medical conditions. So since you worked in a few different hospitals, what would you say that have been some of the most common health issues that you have seen come through the door? Some common things that come through the door, a a lot of them are people with infections. So whether that be chest infections, urine infections, other things include heart attacks and also strokes. But what people come into hospital with is different to what some of the most common medical conditions are that are afflicting people. But often these common conditions that do come into the hospital have underlying causes for them and those underlying medical conditions are what I was wanting to talk about today and some of these common conditions include diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease so smoker's lung and hypertension so high blood pressure. So I'll start by explaining what diabetes is. Diabetes is basically high blood sugars Now, this is caused by your body being resistant to or not producing enough insulin. Um, So insulin is the hormone that helps regulate the blood sugar and keep it within normal levels. There's multiple types of diabetes, but the common ones you hear about are type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And the main difference between these is that in type 1, you can no longer produce insulin, hence why these patients need constant injections of insulin to help reduce their blood sugar as they're just not producing any and in type 2 which is the more common one which is associated with family history obesity and sedentary lifestyles in this one your body slowly becomes resistant to the insulin so it works less and less effectively over time which progressively increases your blood sugar so with diabetes how would it affect a person's body 
Diabetes, it affects a lot of different organs in your body. Some of the main things that it can cause is damage to your eyes. So over time, people get vision loss. It causes damage to your kidneys, so people get kidney failure. And then it can cause damage to your nerves as well. So people get loss of sensation in their hands and feet. And then other things that it can cause are heart disease, cerebrovascular disease, which is like strokes, and then peripheral artery disease. So the arteries in your legs. The latter three that I stated occur more so because of the obesity in patients rather than directly from the high blood sugar. Okay, so what do hospitals do about it? Hospitals or or medical professionals are able to test for the condition, which usually consists of a blood test to check your sugar levels. They're able to treat the medical condition, whether that be through um, offering non-medical measures or then medical measures with medications. And then more importantly, they can follow up and make sure that your levels are controlled and that you don't develop any complications that are associated with diabetes. Uh, Usually this will involve getting an optometrist um, to check your eyes yearly um, to see if there's any damage to your eyes and then also involving podiatrists to look at your feet, to check that your footwear is right and that you're not getting any problems with this loss of nerve sensation. Diabetes complications is something that I've seen in hospital and had um, experience with myself. I have a, a funny story about a time when I had accidentally pulled a toe off a patient. Basically, what happens with the complications of diabetes, one of them being loss of sensation in your nerves is that uh, when you lose sensation in your nerves it tends to happen um, in what they call a glove and stocking fashion so it always happen like in your toes first and then go up to your ankles then up to your knees and it progresses upwards and when you lose sensation in your feet particularly if your shoes don't fit correctly they can constantly rub against a spot and cause like ulceration there and Because you have high blood sugar, bacteria loves eating that sugar, and so you're more likely to get an infection in that area. Again, because your nerves are damaged, you don't feel pain necessarily. So you could go on with a little ulcer under your foot that's been infected for a very, very long time. That would be very painful to anyone else, but in the instance of diabetes, the sensation of pain is not there because of the damage to the nerves. So what you'll see is people coming in with really infected, uh, a really infected toe or a really infected foot um, that then needs to be amputated. And that's on the effects of diabetes over many, many years causing this nerve damage. For myself, um, I've been asked to see a patient who had had a very infected toe and when I went to remove the bandage off this patient's toe because it was so smelly and pussy and so infected and the bandage was so sticky when I removed that bandage uh, a little chunk of his toe was stuck to the bandage and so I was looking at him uh, he was looking at me and we're both looking at this bandage with this chunk of this man's toe on it and yeah not a good scenario to be in for anyone but then uh, that patient ended up having their ankle amputated.
Uh, so you mentioned that. So is there any way to avoid diabetes? Yeah. So there's some things that you can do in your day-to-day to avoid it. These revolve mostly around diet and exercise. So some changes that you can make to your diet is limiting things with added sugar. For example, chocolate, soft drink, juice would be some major contributors. And then... At the very least, swapping to diet versions of those soft drinks is important. And then reducing the amount of total calories you intake is important. So smaller frequent meals. But overall, the specific diet that you choose is less of an issue. It's more about the reduction of the weight that's important. So essentially, it's the how large a meal is is what contributes to diabetes occurring um, or to minimize it. Not necessarily how large the meal is, um, but your ability to be able to process that meal. So if you have a large meal, um, your body needs to produce more insulin to combat the high blood sugar that will occur from that large meal. If you're having an impairment in producing that insulin, then you're going to have a high blood sugar Other than that, the next important thing is exercise and the recommended amount is 30 minutes a day for five days a week. And exercise has the benefit of helping improve that sensitivity to insulin that I mentioned earlier. And lastly, smoking, it's a big contributor to diabetes as well. So stopping smoking is crucial um, and that applies to a lot of medical conditions. So should definitely be stopping smoking altogether. On the topic of smoking, do you think you'd be able to delve into that a bit more and how it affects the lungs and different parts of the body? Yeah, yeah. So another common medical condition that I was wanting to talk about is COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And that's also known as smoker's lung. And what this is, is damage to your airways from the various toxins from smoking. And this damage to your airways is is not reversible and it causes inflammation in those airways and then causes an obstruction, making it a lot more difficult for you to breathe. This ongoing damage also prevents you from being able to clear mucus and bacteria that's in your airways and causes irritation, making you cough more. It's like if if your sink had a bunch of gunk stuck to the side and you poured water down it, it would take longer for that water to go through the sink. And that's sort of like when you're breathing, it's more difficult for the air to come in because your airways have damage to them on either side. A little thing that I've been taught is if you want to know what it feels like to have smoker's lungs, you can do a simple thing where you take deep breath in and hold as much as you can. And once you breathe in, you hold that there and you try to now take another breath in on top of that. So you'll only be able to breathe in a little bit more, um, but once you've done that, you're only allowed to exhale that additional amount that you breathed in, and that's the baseline that they breathe at constantly. And you're welcome to try, but it's, it's very difficult and really uncomfortable to be able to breathe like that constantly. So it's essentially taking a big gasp of breath and then as you can't fill your lungs anymore, you try and take in a little bit more and yeah. then that little bit that you've taken in, you just exhale it a little bit. Yeah. And it's like this, and that's there. this weird feeling that yeah. you can't 
get the oxygen out and you can't breathe properly either. So I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have this feeling constantly. It's very uncomfortable and the worse your um, lungs are, the worse that sensation is. Definitely. So it's this combination of the lungs being damaged and the airways and you get this symptom of not being able to breathe properly. Are there any other areas of the body that can or are affected by smoking? Smoking affects almost everything in your body. Smoking increases your risk of having heart attacks. It increases damage to your arteries in the rest of your body, as well as, like I mentioned before, contributes to diabetes. It's a risk factor. And basically, things that we've been taught in medical school is that smoking is essentially a risk factor for every medical condition because the the toxins that are in cigarettes just cause damage to so many aspects of your body and the same goes for alcohol Um, there's just two things that you should not be putting into your body in any way shape or form but particularly in high quantities over long periods of time like people do people who smoke packs a day for 10 20 years that's the kind of point where they're doing a lot of damage to themselves so it's essentially just this blanket of damage that's being done to the body that's irreversible yep and that medication can't help no diabetes for example yeah that can help mitigate some of the damage medications cannot reverse the damage of smoking and particularly in copd medications can only help relieve symptoms but not actually reverse the damage that's already been done the thing about smoking and even copd is you're able to smoke for many many years before you feel the effects of it And once you feel the effects of it, it's too late. And the effects that you're going to feel after, say, 20 years of smoking is you're going to start to feel short of breath. You're going to realize that you're not able to to walk up a flight of stairs as easily as you used to be able to. And then you're going to start noticing that you're always getting a cough and you're bringing up a lot of phlegm. Um, and you tend to get sick more often, you're getting chest infections more often. With COPD, as I've said, it occurs due to smoking. Many times we'll see in hospital patients that have really, really significant smoking histories, and we call them pack years. So if someone smokes one pack a year for 20 years, they have a 20-year pack history. And so if they smoke 10 cigarettes a day, so half a pack for 20 years, they have a 10-year pack history. But we'll get patients that come in with 50 or 60 year pack histories, but they might only be 50 years old or or 60 years old, which almost doesn't make sense, but it's just because of the amount of cigarettes they've been smoking. But what happens to these patients is that because they've got so much damage to their airways, they're not able to clear the mucus and bacteria out, um, like I mentioned before, and they're more susceptible to infections. So... If they get a chest infection, so a pneumonia, it's much worse for them than it is for you and I. And those chest infections can cause further damage to them. And if there's someone with other medical conditions, then they can potentially die from that pneumonia. Another important thing to think about with people with COPD is to ensure that they're up to date on their vaccinations. This applies to to every single person, but for people with COPD, because they're um, more susceptible to these infections, it's always important for them to have some specific vaccinations annually, which will help reduce their likelihood of catching one of these infections, but then also diminish the extremity of this infection if they do get it. This obviously applies to, to people 
in general um, with other vaccinations as well. Even for people that don't have COPD, it's important to get vaccinations in general for the reasons that I've described. So that one, you're, you're less likely to get infections in general, but then also for the fact that you would have a less severe response if you did contract that infection. And then for also things like herd immunity that uh, people talk about, but it's more and more people have the vaccinations, more and more people are less likely to get the infection and then they're less likely to spread it to other people as well. So um, I'm sure we'll see that manifesting itself with COVID-19 when the vaccination eventually does become available. I hope there's many people out there that are not against vaccinations and are definitely getting their COVID-19 vaccination. Um, You mentioned that smoking is one of those things where it takes a lot of years before you actually notice the symptoms of it. Mm -hmm. Are there any other sort of common health issues that you come across where it's a similar scenario in which the person doesn't experience these symptoms for many years? Uh, As I mentioned before, diabetes, that's another really common one where you just don't feel the effects immediately. There's no outward symptoms it's more something that's occurring within your body you don't get a pain you don't get like a weird sensation that prompts you to go well i need to get this checked out it's something that comes up in a blood test at some point that you might incidentally have the same applies for so for copd smoking as well as for things like high blood pressure you never realize that you have it until the damage has been ongoing for many many years and then you start to get the complications of that medical condition. Um, This applies to many more medical conditions, but the common ones would be diabetes, high blood pressure, and COPD. So you mentioned uh, high blood pressure. Could we delve into what that is so much? Yeah, so it's called hypertension, and hypertension is the medical terminology for what is high blood pressure. It's one of the most common medical conditions and used to be known as the silent killer. That is for uh, the reason that we discussed earlier, where you just don't realize that you have high blood pressure. It's something that, again, gets found out incidentally anytime someone does a blood pressure on you. Um, and in some people, that might not be very often if they don't visit their doctor or are generally healthy and don't have many reasons to get their blood pressure taken. Hypertension is affected by various factors like diet, weight, the amount of exercise you do can also be affected by stress and then importantly smoking um, affects hypertension as well. Other medical conditions like diabetes as well can uh, compound hypertension and your genetics also plays a part in there. So your family history, if you have a history of hypertension. I like to think of hypertension as like a garden hose. So um, you're running water through your garden hose and then you put your finger on the end of the hose and just increase the pressure of the water coming through. And now imagine if you put your kidneys or your brain on the end of that high pressure, that it's doing small amounts of damage over a long period of time. Yeah. So using your analogy, it's, it's simply like when you're hosing down the garden, for example, and you focus on one spot of dirt yeah. with a high pressure, and it slowly edges away from that dirt, and yeah. you start seeing the rocks and all these other sort of things exposed. Yeah, perfect. So it's essentially the blood pressure damaging the brain or other areas of the body slowly but surely over yeah. time. Yeah. Are there ways to diagnose high blood pressure early? 
So the main way to diagnose blood pressure is purely just to have a blood pressure taken, whether that be from your GP or go and do it in some pharmacies that have a blood pressure machine. But often it's an incidental finding. You might be coming in for another medical condition and um, someone checks your blood pressure and notices that it's high and then they realize that you haven't formally had a diagnosis of high blood pressure and they may ask for you to follow that up. You have a machine um, that you'd wear for 24 hours which will intermittently take your blood pressure at your home and that way there's no external factors influencing your blood pressure like the stress of going to a doctor and, and being worried about what we call white coat hypertension. So essentially people who go to the doctor tend to have a high blood pressure because they're worried about the reason that they're going in and whether that be for worried about a potential diagnosis or, or worried about any other, any other factors. You explained the effects of high blood pressure. On the inverse, are there dangerous effects of having low blood pressure? So low blood pressure is something that can be normal as everyone has a different baseline. But, you know, smaller, thinner people tend to have lower blood pressures. If you did have a low blood pressure, you would experience things like lightheadedness or dizziness because not enough blood is getting to your brain. But low blood pressure can be due to some easy to fix things like dehydration but it can also be caused by more severe things like blood loss infection it can be caused by medications so it's definitely important to get it checked out with your gp what would be some of the actions that we could take to alter our own blood pressure so a simple thing you can do um, if say you had low blood pressure would be to drink water um, and water would bring up your blood pressure. If you have high blood pressure, um, there's a lot of things um, that you can do to help reduce that blood pressure. And again, a similar theme running through all the medical conditions is diet and exercise. Exercise helps reduce your blood pressure significantly. And again, 30 minutes of exercise for five times a day, as well as diet. So in the diet for high blood pressure is maybe a little bit different to diabetes but if you reduce your salt intake um, salt has a direct effect on blood pressure and so if you reduce your salt intake that can help bring your blood pressure down but again similar to diabetes it's more about the weight reduction um, because it's weight um, that has the more significant impact on the blood pressure so um, when we're talking about diet um, it's not necessarily exactly what you're eating but more about reducing your weight um, another important thing just to mention is smoking. So smoking is a significant contributor to high blood pressure as well. And so reducing that or completely stopping smoking is really important as well. It seems as you've mentioned, all these three topics that we've discussed so far are all because of what someone decides to put into their body. Mm -hmm. So some of the largest things that we can do is to control and maintain a healthy diet and exercise routine. Yeah, definitely particularly with smoking as well, because that is almost 95% of the reason for having COPD, so damage to your lungs, and it is a significant contributor to, to high blood pressure as well. So. so having discussed all those, what would be some of the large changes in society do you think are required in order to reduce the occurrence of these common health issues? It's a very tough and broad question, but just to answer it generally, it's more education around these common medical conditions is always important. So people are able to recognize them from an earlier point and get interventions earlier. But a lot of complicated factors come into play 
such as socioeconomic factors. So people on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale are more likely to have poorer diets, poorer education. So uh, it results in them having being more likely to have some of these medical conditions. But other things that we could think about would be promotion of exercise, diet in schools from an early age, things like healthy food options in canteens and and that kind of thing. Uh, Another factor that comes to my mind and something that maybe it's just a personal experience of mine, but often I'll be talking to a patient in hospital about a medical condition they have and quickly realize that they don't really understand their medical condition and what effects that it's having on them. So they might be in hospital because they stopped taking their medication and their medical condition worsened and now are needing to have a lot of doctor input in the hospital. They don't understand what effects not taking that medication is doing to them and what process is involved in that underlying condition. And often doctors are on a really tight schedule and uh, are seeing a lot of patients a day, but when they make a diagnosis, uh, it's possible that they're not maybe explaining these medical conditions and their effects to the patients and explaining the importance of adhering to the medications as well as um, the lifestyle changes is a major factor um, that would help reduce the complications um, that these patients have. Like for example, it often takes a significant medical event like a heart attack for someone to alter their lifestyle and think, well, I should exercise more or maybe I'll stop smoking. But as I mentioned before, if you're not really feeling the effects of these medical conditions like diabetes, COPD and hypertension, you don't really have a reason to change your lifestyle um, because you don't really think that it's affecting you. So you could easily stop taking your medication and your blood pressure could keep going up, for example, and you wouldn't really realize it. As you mentioned with medication, is there any sort of hints and advice that you can give to people that don't take them regularly? Doctors go through an extensive amount of training and have a lot of knowledge and for them to prescribe a medication to someone, there's a lot of considerations that they make. And there's no medication that doesn't come with its own side effects. So for them to prescribe a medication to you in the hopes that you're taking it every day as prescribed, a lot of factors have gone into that decision. And it's not made lightly because they do have to consider um, side effects and that kind of thing. And in an ideal scenario, you wouldn't be on any medication. Ideally, doctors don't want patients to be on these medications because the side effects sometimes can be just as detrimental as the medical condition itself. There's a greater importance on being prescribed a medication. Habib, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That was very enlightening, and I hope we bring you back on the podcast sometime soon again. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. I'd like to add some final thoughts before we wrap up today. I found it interesting how Habib explained how diabetes, COPD, and high blood pressure can be interlinking health issues with one another, but also the importance of regular health checkups can be, as Habib mentioned that these can be silent killers. Thank you all for making it to the end of the podcast. I appreciate it more than you know, and please share with your friends and family if you enjoyed it and learned something new. Thank you.